Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Global Change Agents with me, Leanna Brinded, the Digest Edition, a podcast brought to you by Yahoo Finance UK. You can watch a full version of this interview by heading over to yahoo.co.uk forward slash change agents. Joining me today is Dr. Tara Swart, who is influencing change across a whole host of industries in her role as a leadership coach, specializing in sectors facing significant disruption. Tara has a PhD in neuroscience, has a former medical career as a psychiatrist, and she's an award-winning author to boot. Her most recent book, The Source, Change Your Life, explains how we can apply cognitive science to master our minds. So Tara, welcome. Thank you, Liana. So Tara, you've had an incredible career, but let's start right at the beginning. So what has been your passion and have you always wanted to be a doctor? I did always want to be a doctor and I went off to medical school, even did the extra PhD and then practiced as a doctor for seven years. But I woke up one day and I didn't want to be a doctor anymore and that was also okay. So it took a lot of soul searching and advice and trying things out. And when I found the thing that I thought I wanted to change to, I used everything that had helped me to get through medical school to do my PhD to tell myself that I could do this too. And so when your career has taken a big twist like that, I mean, how feasible is it to do that for, you know, the general person? I mean, even though that's still within science, it still seems like quite a radical change. So, I mean, we're talking sort of 20 years ago, and people did say, if you go off and do a PhD, you'll never come back to medicine. But I did. Um, and I really enjoyed medicine for the seven years that I did it. But... I'm one of those people that was itching for a change. And again, there were naysayers. Why would you leave medicine to go into coaching? Um, my best friend moved from being a biochemist to a sculptor. And I remember thinking it was amazing, but I could never do it. But a few years later, I did it. And so when it comes to um, leadership coaching, I mean, how did you take that switch? I mean, what came before that? And what really, like, turbocharged you to want to take such a huge leap? I mean, it's almost moving completely away from science, right? Absolutely. So I had tried every subspecialty of psychiatry. I travelled the world with my career. And I was in search of something that was more intellectually stimulating for me and more positive, more about well-being than illness. Um, at the time, it was around 2007, 2008, so I was really ideally placed as a former psychiatrist to become a stress specialist in financial services. So I was quite lucky in a way. But I think you find the right time to make your career change. You, I thought about it for two years before I made it. So it's both jumping in with that leap of faith and having thought about it for a long time before. It was a tough transition. You basically start again at the bottom of the ladder. I was in an industry where I knew nothing about it and I didn't even know the normal language for that industry. So it's a massive learning curve. But I think 
that there's like a tipping point in your brain where you've thought about something for so long that it's like you build this new pathway and you're ready to take the leap and that's obviously what happened and like I said in retrospect there was a need for the kind of service that I was offering. So, but that's really interesting that you're talking about when you went into especially that sector. I mean, it's finance, it's corporate, it's very different from medicine and um, academia. And having to get used to a new environment, how important do you think that is in order to, one, encourage people to get more into to take that big change? Or do you think it's massively off-putting for people that want to make a pivot in their career like that? I wish that somebody had told me to be prepared for how different the environment would be. I think if I'd known that, it would have helped me to just understand how overwhelming that side of things would be. I was very focused on my career change. I also moved countries at the same time. I didn't really think about how different the environment would be, so I think that's really useful advice. And so what would you say, uh, I mean, one of the big things is obviously preparation that you're saying that wish someone told you about that. But what other kind of key advice would you then give or to your younger self mm -hmm. um, in order to maybe have made that change a bit more streamlined? Mm -hmm. I do think it starts with desire or intent. So you have to really want to do it. You have to keep wanting to do it when it feels easier to give up. So I think it's massively about how motivated you are some understanding of what you'll go through emotionally because it's such a massive change. Um, but it really boils down to trusting your gut and having great people around you that you can ask for help. It'd be really interesting to hear that during this time, I mean, a lot of your career seems quite um, all on your lonesome, basically. You know, you've, you, you're the one that obviously would study to get that PhD and then you'd be moving to somewhere else and then it's your own practice and then, of course, moving into um, a different industry. But how have you interacted with maybe mentors or sponsors? Mm -hmm. Has that ever come into a field for you, for your own personal growth? So actually in the NHS, I was part of a seamless team. Um, you know, we really were each other's sort of right hand and, and left hand. So I had that great experience of being part of a team and having an amazing leader. So the consultant in each job that I worked in. Later, I've absolutely relied on sponsors, mentors, coaches, um, you name it. So absolutely, you have to seek people out. Um, and people are really kind. So how important do you think sponsors are over maybe mentors in terms of not just having a career pivot, but a career progression, and especially for a woman? I think within a large corporation, they're absolutely vital. As you mentioned, my career was a bit more on my lonesome, so a mentor was more relevant for me. But I think if you are in academia, in business, um, in any kind of large organisation, then sponsorship becomes much more important. And so when you've been um, talking to all these leaders about it, um, your unique skill set and background has enabled you to um, obviously write a lot of books in this and do a lot of programmes for these leaders. But in terms of making that sea change, making people understand that that's a different thing and bringing about this radical change within leadership coaching, I mean, how many, I suppose failures did you have to or brick walls that you had to come up against before you can actually get through so it wasn't a path that I laid out and then followed you know in a straight line I absolutely went down some rabbit holes I you know I made some decisions and realized as quickly as possible that they weren't worth pursuing sort of went down a different direction I think there are forks in the road all the time and you can't always make the right decision in retrospect 
I am a believer that you take a decision and then you make it work. But absolutely, I tried things at certain times that didn't work at that time, but maybe like a technology that I used with my coaching, it was sort of before its time, but later I used it or, um, you know, invested in certain ideas that didn't work out. And, and that's okay because sometimes they work out later, sometimes they don't. But I always say the only mistakes are ones that you don't learn from. Yeah, so how, how important do you think failures are to be successful? I think you learn something very different from your failures than you do from your successes. So I think both are important. Um, obviously, um, from a neuroscience point of view, we'd like to have more successes um, just because of the effect that that has on our confidence. Um, so if, as long as you have a relatively higher number of successes, but a few mistakes that you can learn from, then I think it just brings in that edge of humility and um, you know, willingness to take risks and knowing that they don't always work out, but that's okay. So, I mean, you've had an incredible career and we've gone through your career path and all these pivots, but at the same time, you, you, you're, you seem like superwoman, but in your personal life, how, how does that tally up? I mean, one of the biggest things that we talk about, especially in the corporate world, is bringing about this understanding of work-life balance. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that out for yourself? And, you know, has any, being realistic, has any other part of your life suffered because of having this incredible drive in your career? So I feel that I have to be fiercely boundaried about my personal time. So um, just being really mindful about whether I'm working at weekends, whether work is creeping into evenings, um, making sure that I take not just enough holiday, but I, I'm quite well known now for doing my big digital detox holiday. And I find that that makes a massive difference. In the field that I'm in where I'm demonstrating well-being and resilience, it's not a good look if you're not you know, like, yeah. looking like that all the time. So I do have to be very mindful of it. Last year, I think I made a mistake. I worked full time, including traveling around the world and writing a book every weekend. Um, and I think I was lucky that that didn't have an impact on my personal life. Um, in a way, looking back, it's actually been very bonding, but I think it took a huge toll on me, so I wouldn't do that again. We talk about the digital detoxes and things like that, and um, sometimes when you work for yourself, sometimes it can be easy to go one way or the other in the spectrum, either setting boundaries is very hard, or it can be, you know, workaholic and it's just crazy. But when it comes to people working within companies, people working with industries, they may not be able to have those digital detoxes. So what would your advice be for those that still want to be efficient, still want to be mindful of their well-being, but also be as successful as you are? I do think that that message has to be demonstrated from the top and that's why I find it so disappointing when a lot of leaders are still saying I only sleep five hours a night or I'm in the office till 11pm. Um, I think people have to take stock and think about what it's doing to their body and their emotional health and if the price is too high then you might need to think about doing something else. If it's something that people think they can balance then I do think you have to be very mindful and boundaried about it. So. I believe that you're more efficient if you do take those breaks and those digital detoxes. So, you know, it's about doing a bit of both. And of course, with things like mindfulness, the science says that just 12 minutes most days of the week makes a really enormous difference. So that's one thing I highly recommend to everyone. So in this book and your other book as well, you actually mention a method that actually is like a rewiring of the brain that I think has made a radical change in the way that we actually observe 
how we can be better at work, how we can be healthier people, but it's really rooted not just in psychiatry but in neuroscience itself. Can you explain that a bit? Sure. So uh, the concept is called neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to change itself in response to everything that it experiences. And um, I'll put it to you in, in the way that I do to my clients, which is that if um, somebody's been asked to be more emotionally intelligent or to build their resilience to stress, then they're dealing with vague concepts which they don't know what to do with. So it's like, listen more, be, be more empathic, um, listen to your body. When I say it actually means you need to build a pathway in your brain that allows you to understand how other people are feeling or allows you to realise when you're coming down with a cold or, or something more serious. And it's literally physically building that pathway and I will help you to do that just like you would to learn a language. People get that. You know, people who like data um, can really get the concept of that. Then they understand it's practice, it's repetition, it's you know, being held accountable to how that's showing up in the real world. And um, so the concept of neuroplasticity is very, very exciting in behaviour change and particularly in financial services. Great. And so how have you seen that being adopted across whether it's your clients or people reading the book? Has there been any examples where it's really shown a change in that person or their life? So I would say the biggest examples are in the realm of emotional intelligence. So people who didn't really understand um, how to regulate their own emotions and perhaps that there was some bad behaviour as a result of that. So understanding that actually when you feel an emotion, there is a choice in terms of letting that overwhelm your whole brain and lead to some kind of outburst versus understanding how to recognise that, stop it in its tracks and choose a different behaviour. I think that's had a massive impact in terms of tolerating workplace behaviour and, and people really feeling that they can change because I'm sure you know as many people as I do who say, well, I, I'm too old for that to change now. Um, and the research around neuroplasticity is so compelling about how much we can change throughout our working life um, that it really gives people a massive amount of potential that they didn't know they had, and that's really positive. And as a woman, especially in industries that are always male-dominated, whether it's in science and medicine, whether it's in financial services, how do you make yourself stand out, not just yourself, but for other people that you may give advice to? I think it's really important to retain our femininity. So, um, you know, to dress in a way that shows that we're not ashamed of being a woman in a man's world, not to, rather than to try to conform. So, you know, personally for me, I, I like to wear skirts and dresses. Um, I, you know, have long hair. I like to wear makeup. Um, so instead of shying away from the fact that we're different, I think it's important to really stand out and say, here I am, this is me. And, you know, I might be different, but... Um, it doesn't mean anything about, you know, how we'll interact in a professional manner. How would you say for those who may be not um, be femitive norm, um, dressing or looking, how would they stand out then? Yeah, so I absolutely gave an example of, you know, what's important to, to me in terms of my gender identity. But I think whatever your identity, gender identity, um, you know, any sort of identity is, that it's about not hiding that and it's about absolutely appearing fully in that when you present yourself and also when it comes to whether it's at a conference or whether it's in the boardroom is there certain ways or tips that you would say um, not just in the way you dress but in the way that you conduct yourself that would make you stand out 
I think having a voice is really important. And if you're outnumbered in any way, then it does feel easier to sit back and not say anything and not be heard. But actually, it's, it's so important for diverse voices, you know, of all sorts to be heard. And it's important for us as individuals to feel like we do have a say, that we are included. I think that if you're in an industry where, you know, you're, you're outnumbered, then it's even more important than ever that you make that effort to say something. So I always do that, even if I don't particularly have, like, something that I'm dying to say. Thanks for listening to Global Change Agents with me, Liana Brinded, produced by Yahoo Finance UK. A full version of this interview can be found at yahoo.co.uk forward slash change agents. And for more information, go to uk.finance.yahoo.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.